recent years, humanitarian responses have been complicated by compounding crises, such as climate change, epidemics, and pandemics, and complex conflicts. In an ever-changing humanitarian space, we ask, what does the safety and security of aid workers look like? And what might it look like in the future? I'm Tara Arthur from the Global Interagency Security Forum. In each episode, I'll be speaking to guests about topics such as the localization of aid, the ups and downs of community acceptance, and the role of digital security in the modern era. Join me as we unpack the changing face of humanitarian security risk management. Hi, Vita. How are you today? Hi, it's good to be with you. Hi, Tara. Well, thank you for joining us. I thought it would be great if we could start with a little introduction, if you could share um, your name, your organization, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. And thanks so much again for having me on this. Um, it's great to see the, the variety of topics that you all have covered on um, this series. So really honored to be closing out the series for the year. Um, my name is Vita Peak. I am the Associate Manager of Global Security at Population Services International. We are an international health, um, global health NGO that uh, works in a variety of spaces. We work on um, reproductive health. We work in malaria, TB. Um, we work in a big assortment of uh, global health work and we are in about 50 countries. So it keeps our three person security team very busy. As far as my work, I do both operational security and analysis. So. A lot of it focuses on, you know, uh, protocols, procedures for travel, for continuing programming, whether it be in a high risk zone or whether it just be our, nor our typical programming and um, making operational decisions from the security perspective. And the other side is the security analysis piece, which looks at, you know, following political trends, following crime trends, following any kind of new um, legal updates that are made in a country and then making an analysis um, on how that might affect security the country that we work in and then of course uh weaving culture into it so so much of our work you know the culture of a country that we work in uh has a lot to do with um the way that security is understood the way that you know we can teach security and build capacity and uh the way that security is affected in the country by um whatever may be the cultural norms um and and that both applies for our local staff and uh, for our visitors. So that's kind of the work that I do. A big component of my role is also training. Um, so like I said, building the capacity of our staff at the headquarters level and also at the local level uh, about security, why it's important and why uh, it is also part of our programming and not something that should hinder our programming. And of course, specific training for our security focal points who are liaison on the ground for security matters. So giving them a bit more of that technical edge. So that's a bit of my kind of focus for my work. Geographically, I get a good um, mix uh, of countries. I work um, on all of our Latin America portfolio. Um, that's about 10 countries. And then also work on uh, Haiti uh, within our Latin American Caribbean portfolio. I do several countries in West Africa and a few countries in Asia. So uh, I'm pretty busy <laughs> throughout the years and also two countries in, in Southern Africa. So um, it's a good mix. Uh, it keeps me on my toes. And uh, we've got, like I said, a three-person security team. So we stay pretty busy at PSI. 
It sounds like it, indeed. And it sounds like you'll have some really interesting perspectives um, as we look to what's been happening in 2020, the pace of the security manager and what you've had to keep up with this year. I think it would be great if, you know, you want to paint a big picture for us of what's been happening for 2020 for you and how has that kind of influenced or impacted the work um, you've been doing this year? Sure. Yeah, thanks. And I think 2020 has become almost a loaded word. It's not just a year, but a a phenomenon, honestly. Um, You know, going into the year, every year our team um, in November or October of the previous year does a bit of strategy planning, thinking about what we're going to work on and uh, what are the issues we sort of want to tackle because uh, we really want to work on not being uh, just a reactive security department. I mean, of course, a good bit of our time, just like anyone else, is taken up in in response, you know, putting out the fires. Um, But we want to take a preventative approach and also have a strategy to our work. So in November of 2019, our team really looked at what we want to do in 2020. And there were kind of two focuses. One was our theme of what we called streamlining. Um, So in the past few years, our team, um, believe it or not, has grown. Um, so we had previously our director of security who was running security on his own. Um, and then we had someone who we called our regional manager based um, in Nairobi. And then I came on board and our regional manager position turned into a global security manager position. Um, so we really are a, a global unit and there's three of us. So we said, you know, the past few years we've spent time building uh, trainings, building documents, analysis, um, and really trying to offer more and more resources. And we said, you know, it's time to take a minute and say, we've thrown a lot of things at people. We need to spend some time maybe streamlining some of the older documents, making them more operational, making them more practical, taking what we do have and really making sure people understand how to implement it. And the second piece was more of a focus on gender and diversity. Uh, especially looking at security from a gender and diversity lens and saying, you know, one box doesn't fit everything that has to do with risk for each person. We all have different profiles and just understanding sort of the, um, the nuances around that. So here comes 2020 and we're, we're starting to work on, you know, our strategy. We're putting together um, what our plan is for the year and, and COVID starts coming up and we see it in our Asia offices and, um, the global security department was kind of the one that responded to that. And we said, okay, well, we'll put together an assessment to help our Asia offices understand, you know, what the impact's gonna be. We're there to offer that technical support. Uh, We started putting in a few travel restrictions, um, but we really saw it as kind of, this is sort of the issue of the day. Uh, We're gonna help our offices deal with it. We'll get past this type of thing. And then when we started seeing it go into Europe, we kind of realized, and in other parts of Asia, and even kind of that concern about Africa, we thought, oh, this is becoming a bigger thing. We created um, what's called uh, our COVID-19 SharePoint page, and it's part of our global security page. And SharePoint's our internal resource uh, sharing mechanism. I'm sure many other organizations have it. We as a department started to become quite focused on COVID. Um, But on the other side here, we still have regular security support, regular security incident management on top of trying to fit in whatever strategy that we were trying to fulfill this year and then doing that COVID response. And we took a step back, uh, especially our director speaking with um, our chief operations officer and said, you know, COVID is becoming something that is going to be a global impact. Even before we knew that it was going to hit the U.S., we just knew 
this is going to be something that's going to be influential. We need more resources towards it. So we created um, something we call the COVID-19 working group. So being a health focused organization, it sounds like you had a lot of these systems, as you mentioned, already being built up. So what else did you have already in place that's turned out to be kind of self-fulfilling, it sounds like? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, as a health organization, there's, of course, you know, the, the pros and cons as far as from a, a response perspective. We did have this medical director. We were able to weave in um, elements of our existing programming using our clinics to do COVID-19 response from an external perspective, but internally, a lot of our staff, they are, you know, just aware of of health protocols. So we were able to kind of leverage that. But for this unique uh, pandemic that just has affected nearly every country, we said, on top of the mechanisms that we do have in place and having hired a a medical director and, and having staff at the country, almost every country level have medical experience, we need a global response to this. And the three-person global security department just can't can't be that only mechanism. So myself, uh, our security director, our medical director, aging director, we also had our chief operations officer, vice president for fundraising. We came together to give it a more holistic approach, which was a, a really great, I mean, of course, it's, it's been a very difficult year uh, from many perspectives, but it was a great opportunity to really show how security can work with other parts of the organization. So we worked on, and and I know we'll go into this a bit more, but we worked on, you know, travel, we worked on um, worked from home, we worked on how do you respond to COVID cases in your country? How do you alter programming? Um, what are the security implications of COVID, not just from the safety aspect, but, um, you know, the security situation, whether it be crime, whether it be protests. So we formed that group to specifically focus on those COVID tasks and sort of keep that separated. And then our security team focused more on the regular security you know, support and then whatever COVID security implications existed. Um, of course, two out of our three security uh, members of our security team were on the COVID group. So keeping that sort of, you know, divide and, and deciding, um, you know, what to prioritize and when um, was definitely um, something that that was a work in progress, um, but we, we struck a good balance and we're able to actually use the strategy that we came up with from 2019 to our benefit because, you know, we just didn't have the LOE or headspace to be creating new resources. So the idea of streamlining resources was actually to our benefit Um, because with COVID and with everything going on, being able to streamline our uh, security management plans and make them more operational and to add things like, you know, pandemic considerations into them um, fit uh, our environment. And then the gender and diversity lens that we talked about, you know, we said, this is a time that, you know, COVID is disproportionately affecting uh, various groups, uh, specifically people of color in the United States. Um, it's affecting different countries differently depending on their, their culture. As far as, you know, women and dealing with sort of the domestic violence issue or whatever it might be that might be cropping up as a result of stay-at-home measures. So there were so many elements of COVID that also had to do with gender and diversity. And, and just in the United States, there is, you know, that a movement right now sort of um, not that these issues haven't existed long into the past, but I think with the pandemic, there was 
kind of this opportunity where people took a moment to look at everything else because we weren't moving so quickly. And uh, over the summer here in the United States, there was a, a big conversation, you know, about social justice. And I think that spurred a lot of diversity and, and equity initiatives in U.S.-based NGOs, which helped to kind of weave our um, our gender and diversity lens on the security side, both domestically and, and internationally. So Vita, you've shared a lot of really interesting insights into what PSI has been doing. I think it would be really great to go deeper into the perspectives you were having on diversity and inclusion and gender and how that all ties into the work you're doing, but also being a U.S. organization. What are some of the different experiences that you've seen um, throughout this year in addressing those things? Yeah, absolutely. So gender and diversity, I think, has been something that's started to come into the security conversation over probably the last 10 years, I would say. And, you know, there are a lot of great um, white papers on it. The white paper by Christine Purcell, of course, I know that you all published and, and just a lot of good conversation. But I think as far as us working with our local staff and, and kind of making it a, an international standard when we talk about security, a lot of times people are either afraid to talk about that gender and diversity perspective because like, oh, that might be controversial or we don't want to single anyone out. And then on the other end, you know, people are scared to have that conversation because it's like, well, now we're going to start treating people differently based on, you know, your risk is here and how can we possibly manage one by one risk profile? But that's not the point. The point is to educate everyone and gender and diversity is not just, you know, women and, and people of color. It's, it has to do with age. It has to do with sexual orientation. It has to do with economic status. It might have to do with your educational background. There's so many factors that are part of your identity. And from a security perspective, can make someone either, you know, have a lower profile in a certain environment. Maybe you, you know, don't attract attention in particular or may not have um, particular risks that you're vulnerable to. And then in another environment, you become someone who is more vulnerable to risk. Um, and so it, it honestly changes from environment to environment. So getting our staff to understand the point of looking at your country and saying, you know, what is our gender risk analysis and our uh, diversity analysis is to take that, see what risks exist, and then train everybody on it so that they're aware not to say, you know, hey, all the women in the room go in here and we're just going to teach the women about the risks to women in this um, in this environment. So I think that's something, you know, first you have to build, as our team has grown, you've got to build just those foundational security skills, build the capacity, build understanding of why security is important. And then you can kind of go more into those nuanced pieces of like, okay, you understand security management, but it's not the same for everybody. Everyone's risk profile is not the same. The way people learn and understand uh, security has to do with their culture. It has to do with their identity. Um, so we wanted to get into that more nuanced perspective this year. And at first we thought, wow, with everything that's going on, are we really going to be able to tackle that initiative? We'll be able to harness people's energy and time with, you know, people being affected by the pandemic on a personal and on a professional level. But actually it ended up working uh, into, uh, you know, understanding the effects of the pandemic more 
are certain groups being more affected by the pandemic? Are they more vulnerable to it? Are they understanding it differently because of their, their cultural background? Um, and then also just the exacerbating security situations in country did it exacerbate in, in certain countries that we work in potentially ethnic uh, conflict. They exacerbated, you know, gender concerns, especially with, you know, rising rates of domestic violence. And then it also gave the opportunity to have that conversation on a U.S. level. So, you know, every NGO works differently as far as security, but at PSI, traditionally, security, uh, global security has always worked on um, our countries outside of the U.S. And then U.S.-based security, since we don't have anyone who, you know, travels throughout the U.S., we just have a U.S.-based facility. Um, our facilities team largely takes on security matters on the U.S. side. So how has this new pandemic shifted your focus from being more outside of the U.S. focus to maybe some integrating some of the headquarters? Has that been part of your shift? Yeah, definitely. Um, I I think, like I said, we traditionally, our team didn't really have the mandate to work on U.S. issues just because, you know, we don't travel, we don't really manage the office, the facility, our, our facilities department manages, you know, like building contract and things like that. The only time we really, you know, work with HQ staff is in support to local staff or in their travel needs. So um, preparing them for travel, training them on um, travel security. But as we looked at the pandemic, we realized, you know, this is going to have an effect on the U.S. And while our staff are also trying to help our staff in the field, they are also being affected by this at home. Um, and so the return to office measures that we were looking at, um, we've had several phases, we've fleshed out a plan, you know, um, and, and sort of the direction uh, from a medical perspective as well to our U.S. staff, um, that's brought a lot more exposure to the security team because working with um, our medical director and our COVID working group, we have kind of been more at the forefront of engaging with uh, headquarters staff about their security and their safety. And they're like, oh, now I know what it is that you do. <laughs> because a lot of the times, you know, they kind of, they see our support to the field, but we really, we work directly with the field. We don't have a lot of a barrier in between. And a, a lot of the times our work with the program teams is more about budgeting or, um, hey, we're flagging these concerns, but they don't see us doing like the response or they may not see us doing um, the trainings or things as much. So they were sort of able to see the the kind of work that we do. And because of the, the sort of diversity and inclusion conversation that's really been happening in the U.S., uh, particularly starting this summer, our newsletters that we started doing that include those topics, you know, we included U.S. staff on this and said, this is what we're sharing with the field. This is what we're looking at. But you can take this. And even though we don't have programs in the U.S., you can take this and use it as a lens to understand our work in the field. And also just on a personal level, you know, your engagement with with colleagues who may have a different identity or background than you. Um, and, you know, there's the general of that. And then there's the security perspective of, you know, how do you measure your own security and your own risk profile based on your own identity and how that might that be different than, than someone in the field or just someone else in headquarters. So tell me about that. How, how has that been received by your staff, both in the U.S. and, and abroad? Have you found that 
you know, this incorporating more of the HQ intertwined with your national offices, has that been well received? I think it's been well received on the whole. I think it's a hard thing to balance because um, many of our, you know, we would do webinars or communications and a lot of our statistics, our information, the way we approach the pandemic, you know, we're taking a lot from the CDC or whatever uh, information we get in the U.S. Of course, we're trying to pull World Health Organization. We're trying to get that global perspective. But a lot of times some of the guidance we give becomes a bit U.S. centric, um, which is different for us. You know, we typically do focus on um, the field when we work on just our security matters. But with this COVID working group, a lot of things, you know, there would be kind of comments of that's really only U.S. focused. That's not how it it works here, which is it opens a good dialogue to talk about when you create a global guidance or a standard. Um, it's very difficult to include it every single perspective, but you want to create something loose enough where we're giving you guidance, we're giving you direction, we're giving you resources, but you take that and you modify it for your context. So that's often what happened. Any kind of guidance we created, we disseminated, teams modified for their approach, and then would speak to our group directly to say, you know, can you look at this and what are your recommendations and what support can you offer? So as far as a, a level of effort, it, it did became, become difficult at times to be, you know, looking at every individual country now. We're looking at COVID and we're also looking at the security situation. Um, but I think on the whole, you know, it did bring the conversation together of like, I think a lot of people think that security does tend to take this approach of like, well, things are, are safe in the U.S. and it, there's nothing going on here, but we're just concerned about other countries where, you know, we did see uh, protest activity in the U.S. We did see, you know, social justice movements. We did see, you know, crime rates rise because of the economic effects of COVID. We saw the health and safety uh, aspects of COVID, honestly, probably more in the U.S. Um, and there's been a lot of interesting research on how COVID has not been the same in Africa and it actually hasn't affected it um, as strongly. And I, and I won't go into all of the theories there are of why that's the case, but, um, you know, we have to work with our, our colleagues in other parts of the world to also understand that their environments may be different. Um, but from the gender and diversity lens, I think there was a lot of excitement uh, to see our team doing things like that, especially from the headquarters side, because there's so much talk about that right now, and it feels very relevant um, in the U.S. So I think it's what our job sort of is to do is to say, like, it's great that we have this energy, but we want to harness that and, and push it forward because this is something that we've been wanting to do for a while. We don't want it to seem like a reaction to, to you know, the conversation in the U.S., um, but from the field perspective, I think it was really appreciated, but sometimes maybe not always understood. Um, it was, and we don't really get what you're asking of us or no, we don't really have that issue here um, because people have this idea when they think like gender and diversity risk or something like that. And, and they don't see that it's, it's just a way to look at risk um, from a, a more holistic perspective. So talking about the lens of gender diversity and inclusion through the eyes of national offices and looking at the events of 2020, 
it would be great for you to tell us a little bit more about how you're managing those conversations with your national staff offices. And do you have to have different conversations with your staff in the U.S. as a result of everything that's been happening? How are you managing those two things? Yeah, so I think... um, From the U.S. side, like I said, we don't have operations here. So whenever people are looking at, you know, their, whether it be from a security side or just more general diversity inclusion, I think, you know, our HR team is taking a lot of that on. Um, They're looking and saying, you know, how we now have a diversity inclusion council, which is actually something that was started last year and like pushed more forward this year. Does security have a role in those conversations or are you holding the diversity conversation separate or in reverse, inviting HR into your conversations? How does that kind of flow organizationally for you? Right. So I think there's, um, you know, a difference between the larger diversity and equity conversation, which falls more into the scope of the work that HR would do. So they have a lot of initiatives um, that they're working on. Separately, there's a council at PSI, that's the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council, which is, it's a voluntary, um, it, it's, you know, headed by HR, but anyone on the organization can be in it, and there are co- cohorts, um, and we actually just had a training, and, and security was one of the first uh, participants, because we do interact with this kind of, uh, with these kind of topics, but I think, you know, the goal of that is just to understand more, you know, Um, diversity, equity, inclusion, how that can affect our work overall. Um, And then for us, we kind of, you know, file it down a bit more towards the security aspect of looking at risk assessments and looking at security from a gender and diversity lens, but making sure that our staff understand that we're asking you to do a holistic review of security, not just from one angle, but from, you know, multiple different angles and different factors that may affect someone's security in the country. And then, like I said, train everyone, inform, brief everyone on the situation so that it doesn't become that you're treating certain groups that are more vulnerable to um, a specific risk like they are the risk themselves. That is a pitfall that can happen a bit in security is that we start to say, oh, like, women are a risk in this country (laughs) or, you know, uh, an LGBTQ staff member may be a risk in this country. And you you really want to be careful with that kind of language. You're saying there are certain risks that a a group may be more vulnerable to. Um, So kind of really for us, this initiative has been getting our staff um, in each country to talk about those conversations, to look at security from a different lens. And then secondly, to understand how to implement those holistic uh, risk assessments without treating the staff themselves um, as if they are a risk or even, you know, our beneficiaries who may be part of those uh, of those groups. So I think we took the approach of first, we just sort of introduced the topics. Like we didn't ask anyone to do anything. We sent out, you know, newsletters and briefings about like, here are some external resources, here's our internal analysis, here's, you know, some definitions you should know. And then we moved towards uh, our new security management plan has a whole section on gender and diversity, like a little mini gender and diversity risk assessment for the country, which then we reviewed and gave feedback on. And then next, we're moving to our own internal structure of 
we have a, a risk assessment process that we do when we visit countries, but it doesn't include gender and diversity. So we're saying, you know, we're giving this guidance to our teams. We actually don't, I think we do it in our heads more naturally because it's a topic that we talk about. But as far as from a, a documented written standpoint, we didn't have that resource. So that's something that I'm working on is including that gender and diversity piece in our own uh, risk assessments that we complete uh, for a country. That's so interesting. Thanks for sharing that. There's so much that's happening at PSI, it sounds like, and it sounds like security has taken an increased look at a lot of different cross issues. And I just want to take a moment and also kind of look into something you've shared with me previously that I thought was really interesting. You mentioned that PSI takes this individual perspective on and you frame a lot of your decision making around an individual. Is that right? We have um, an archetype at PSI for our beneficiary that we call Sarah. So um, a, a common phrase that we use at PSI is serving Sarah. So that's the that's the goal of our work. Um, so using that beneficiary lens helps us to make sure that whatever we're doing, it's not just moving forward the organization. It's not just um, shifting the market because we think that it it works well for us. It's what's working best for Sarah. So um, we have something that's called uh, consumer powered healthcare. That's something that we really focus on. So we want to make sure whatever services we're bringing, whatever approach we're taking, the strategy we're taking, it's what's going to serve Sarah the best. And not just, you can't take that from a global perspective. It's going to vary country to country. So we have a global strategy that gives us guidelines. And then we look on a country level basis, you know, what does Sarah need here? How can she best access our resources here? Um, and, and how will she best understand um, the message we're sending? But also we need to send the message in a way that it is what Sarah wants and needs. Um, and, and so it's really taking her perspective and letting her be the leader of, of our strategy and the way that we do our work. So that's really interesting. And how have you used that approach to help bring Sarah to life for your staff members that you and your team are trying to keep safe, the people who are helping keep Sarah safe, it sounds like? How have you incorporated that into your security team strategy? Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. And I think it's also a unique aspect of PSI's culture that the security team really can harness because our staff are really motivated and we want to you know do everything that we can for Sarah and in a lot of the countries we work in local staff may be a Sarah like they may be serving Sarah but they may also be Sarah um, in the environment that they work in and so we want to take the approach with programs of you know security is not here to say no I mean sometimes we have to say no if, if the level of risk is so high but we have to say you know we can't serve Sarah best if our staff aren't safe and we can't continue our programming safely because if there are security risks to the program we're doing, that can be um, you know, an indirect risk to Sarah and it also can affect our operations, our reputation in the country, which affects the impact that we can have and, and our ability to serve Sarah. So I think really the goal of the archetype model is not just to have this internal you know, jargon, it's to help people focus no matter what the department or work that they're doing is 
this is not some thing in the void, some strategy that we like made up as a theory. Like there is an actual person that's going to be affected by this and a consumer that we have to think about. There can be this issue with NGOs sometimes that we're we're looking at our, our beneficiary as if like we are there to help them, but actually we are learning from there. And, and Sarah is our equal and our is our partner in our work. So it, looking at your beneficiary as a partner really helps to, to be more effective in the work. You've shared a lot of really interesting ways that you and your team are addressing a lot of the issues of 2020. It would be great if you can tell me one thing that you think was really pivotal in 2020 to really helping security take a new role in your organization or something that your team has accomplished or is kind of stands out. Absolutely. Thanks. So, I mean, I think something that every NGO um, struggles with is, you know, how do we allocate resources to best meet our need, but also to protect our staff, um, but also to, you know, fulfill our donor requirements and things like that. So having, you know, a fully fleshed out security department is something that's a bit newer at PSI. Um, and it's something that each year that we, you know, grow and learn as a department, um, we're, we're working towards having a team that can, is a, a well-oiled machine. And I think we have achieved that in a lot of ways. I mean, of course, you know, having additional resources as a team um, is always helpful. But I think something that this year, it's something that's existed, but this year has really put into focus is that our team, you know, is very diverse. We have, uh, first of all, our diversity of experience, you know, uh, we have our um, global security manager who's based in Nairobi. He's uh, Kenyan. He has his own individual perspective. He's got his background with training and he has a background working in, in the region, but also outside with his role at PSI. And Asia, I have uh, a background, you know, being a woman, being in security, it's, it's a different perspective. Um, and I have a bit more of like an analysis perspective that, a lot of you know NGOs may just focus on the operational side, and then our our director Matthew, he's got um, you know both emergency response um, experience from the past, but also development uh, security for you know development organizations. So this year we said you know it's really gonna we're gonna have to harness all of our perspectives and sort of like individual talents and flush out those tasks more than ever because I think in the past we've said you know, we'll all kind of, you know, work on this together. We'll have this conversation here. Here's like a nice to do. Um, and then here's just like the big security incidents. But I think this year really put everyone in this laser focus of like, okay, COVID's being dealt with this way. We're moving our strategy forward this way. You're focusing on, on these incidents. And as we've uh, worked as a department, you know, we, we used to have sort of this like all hands and approach. And of course, we still work together and have discussions um, and collaborate, but we really have, you know, individual portfolios, even individual what we call centers of excellence. So it's whatever security topic that we are either passionate about or have expertise in. Um, so that one, our staff know who to go to for what, and we don't waste time redirecting, but also so that we um, ourselves can, can better prioritize. So I think what 2020 did is really kind of cut the fat out of um, the way we operate and made us focus 
on what's you know the priority but also it, it did give more uh, exposure to the security team i mean of course the pandemic has been so difficult and uh affected so many people and uh, you know, that's not really the way that we, we want to gain exposure, but it, it did show that, you know, we are there to support in, in times of emergency and in regular times. And it really gave that understanding to staff that whether it's a health risk, whether it's a security risk, you have to take a preventative approach. As we look to 2021 and we look back at, you know, some of the successes and challenges and how you've addressed them in 2020, what are some things that you have on the horizon or you're looking to in 2021 in the new year? Yeah, I think that's a a good point. So, you know, 2020 certainly came with uh, its unique set of challenges, one being really just the element of uncertainty which I don't think that that's going to go away in 2021. But I think with, you know, more of the research coming out about vaccines, um, more of an idea of how we want to approach, uh, you know, return to office or work from home measures, depending on the environment, looking at travel. 2020 was difficult because we had, you know, a whole plan, you know, the planner was filled out for the year of what was going to happen. And then we were just kind of thrown this huge, you know, curve and, I think that security managers are um, very well adapted to that kind of thing, but it's temporary, you know? So something we've talked a lot about this year are, you know, the effects both from a, a professional standpoint, but also from a mental health aspect is, is that protracted crisis. So how do you continue to do your work and continue to attend to other matters while you've got this um, protracted crisis going on? So this year, you know, we were used to that temporary curve, but we weren't used to it affecting the entire path of the year. So I think as we move into 2021, we have a better idea of, you know, what we have in place to deal with this so that we can move forward. So we can move more forward with our gender and diversity initiatives that were, we were able to plant a seed in um, this year. You know, we've seen a lot of political movements, a lot of shifts, you know, uh, what can we focus on? we The natural disaster season, which I know the last series talked a lot about climate change, Um, natural disasters have been, uh, you know, completely detrimental to many countries this year. And it's something we've had to focus on. So what increased support can we give there? Um, And then also just vaccine development. How are we uh, involved in, you know, the the distribution of vaccines or the research or um, just some of the hand hygiene and public health messaging? That's something that we have become experts in from from whether it be past pandemics or our sanitation projects. So harnessing that moving forward, you know, the after effects of COVID as something that our organization um, is taking on. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Would you like to leave us with any last takeaways? Thanks so much, Tara. Yeah, firstly, just um, this has been a great conversation. You know, I think we could probably sit here for several hours and, and flesh out more of the nuances of it. So I apologize if it's a bit you know, top line and doesn't get into those, uh, into the nitty gritty, which can be, you know, really important and and really fascinating to discuss. But I think sort of the takeaway is one, as kind of the the conversation denotes that the role of security managers is changing. It's not just, you know, the operational decision-making, which is so important, but, and, and the responding, you know, to the fires of the day, but it is that preventative planning approach. It is 
you know, the forecasting, it is working with programmatic teams, working with if you do have medical personnel at your organization, um, it's making sure your team both, you know, whether it be their identity or their skill set, um, taking that gender and diversity lens with your own staff, making sure you have staff who can give differing perspectives on your security team. Um, you may have a staff member who does have maybe a bit of that medical background, which will help you. You may have a staff member that um, has worked in emergency response before. Uh, you may have a staff that's part of a, of a group that's vulnerable to more risk. So their perspective on that issue um, can be really beneficial. So this year has really just highlighted that um, when you have a curve in your path of what you're, you've planned and it's that long protracted crisis, you want people at the table who are going to bring all of those different perspectives so that you don't end up having a huge gap over here. Um, and also just having people on your team um, who are, are flexible, you know, willing to sort of, you know, I had many plans for the year of things that I wanted to work on or, or travel that I had had planned. Um, and, you know, while that can be upsetting to not move forward some of those initiatives, you kind of got to look at what can I harness this year and what needs the most attention? So as a department, being able to sort of like step back and say, we had these goals, but we need to shift to what is, you know, the burning priority without letting things, you know, dropping the ball on, on other important topics. Thank you so much, Vita. It's been a pleasure having you here. Thanks so much, Tara. I've really enjoyed it.